Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Andrew Peterson and Spencer Dent, founders of Closed. In this episode, they shared how they came up with the idea to build Closed and how they help their customers uncover the qualitative pieces of the puzzle they need to really understand all the nuances that went into their customers' decision to churn. We then dove into why you should interview the decision makers of companies that have churned, the benefits of recruiting a third party to conduct the interviews, and they also shared some of the key questions you should be asking in order to get the most out of the calls. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With the browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael. And here's today's episode. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Spencer. Welcome to the show. Hey, Andrew. Excited to be here. It's good to have you. For the listeners, uh, Andrew and Spencer are the founders of Closed, a leading provider of technology of services for win-loss analysis. Prior to Closed, Spencer was the head of demand generation and marketing operations at Qualtrics, and Andrew was a product founder and general manager at Qualtrics too. So my first question for you two is, at what point did you decide you want to start a company together? And how did that evolve? Question. You want to take it? I'll take it. I'll take it. We worked at a feedback company, right? So it was, Qualtrics was a great company, learned a ton there. And for folks listening to this, understanding, measuring customer health type metrics, we were learning a lot there. And, but in our roles, we realized like the most important feedback we needed was understanding why we were winning and losing sales opportunities because that was a hindrance or kind of obstacle to us continue to grow the business. And in the process of doing that, we went and looked and tried to understand we were working with both the new business team, as well as the customer success team to figure out when somebody does churn, what happens and why do they leave? And when on the new business front, why are we winning and losing deals to certain competitors? So we got pretty obsessed with this concept of there needs to be a platform that helps companies diagnose after the decision is made, not predict whether or not someone's going to win or lose, but after somebody churns or after a deal is won or lost up front, why did that happen? And so we, uh, we left about five years, it'll be five years ago next month and started this business. We bootstrapped it for several years and really immediately we started winning customers and it's been a, it's been a great experience. But the big thing is we've realized the biggest most valuable source of feedback for B2B companies 
is to actually understand why companies are making decisions to spend or not spend money with you and what's driving those underlying decisions. Very cool. So you gave me the story of the why you decided to build what you're doing, but uh, let me know a little bit the details, like when you got started, like who went to who and said, hey, we should start a company together. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it's a fun story. We were really fortunate to work at an incredibly successful, hyper-growth SaaS company and learned a ton of lessons there. I was there for just about eight years. Spencer came over from Bain and Company in what, 2013 and was there for about four years. So an incredible experience. And we got to see from the inside out how an incredible company got built and learned from observing Qualtrics, how they went about growing the company. And I think both of us were always entrepreneurial. Spencer had started a business while he was an undergrad at Brigham Young University. I'd always had a bunch of business ideas that I toyed around with at home, late at night, vetting different business plans with different colleagues through the years, but none of them ever felt like the right one. Felt like as we did more due diligence, like this is it, this is the right one for our skill set, the right timing, the right opportunity. So always wanted to leave and be an entrepreneur, but was it such a great company that with so much opportunity that ended up sticking it out for eight years and, and learning a lot in the process. So eventually stumbled across the idea for closed because it was a business problem we were facing at Qualtrics and we couldn't really find a great solution for it. And it was quite adjacent to the work we were involved in doing at Qualtrics. And so it just felt like the culmination of this is the right idea at the right time and we've got the right skill set for this so it was really exciting when that moment arrived and even though there was a big opportunity cost for leaving qualtrics qualtrics was pre-ipo it was just a year or two before they ended up getting acquired by sap for eight billion dollars we left meaningful roles there to be in spencer's basement tripping over his daughter's toys as we walked through the through the family room to get to our little room in the basement but it was a super exciting time and a ton of fun to to venture out and start our own business. Yeah, it's a real deal. And like you said, there's that big opportunity cost. I resonate a lot with that myself as well. Like I left uh, Hotjar about a year before they were acquired and one one end as well. And the other side as well, you mentioned, I think what I thought back then though was like the enemy, like, and there's this quote that stuck with me that the enemy of a great life is a good life. And when you have a good life, it's so easy to break. It's so difficult to break out of that and to take a risk and say like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. But when you do it. Yeah, we actually had one third colleague at Qualtrics that was integrally involved in like developing the business idea for closed and the opportunity cost was just too high. Like he, when it came down to it, to make the decision to leave, he decided to stay and he's had a great career there. He's had a ton of success, made great money, all of that. And I think that for him, it was the right decision to stay, but you're exactly right. Like it's a big decision think, yeah. at that moment. It can be real scary. Psychologically, I think people tend to overweight risks and worst case scenarios and under underway upside and best case scenarios and realize that if, if you have a good idea and you're smart and you work hard, you'll be fine. You know? yeah. yeah. But if you apply, apply logic to it, you, you're never going to make sense. I think because if you start adding up all the risks and stuff, like you'd be crazy to get started with the business to begin with, looking yeah. at the yeah. chances and stuff. But yeah. So you deal then with obviously a lot of clients now, handling churn and retention, like trying to understand for them how the reasons for it. And you mentioned before the show, you deal typically with a lot of enterprise clients as well. What are some of the things you're seeing in the market when it comes to churn and retention and the way that these companies are approaching uh, the challenge? 
Yeah, so I can take that. Given my background in consulting, I've been the lead of how do we actually deliver our programs for our clients. We work with our clients to help them understand once a decision's been made to to a purchase decision within their existing customer base to either upsell, stay, or leave, why the company did that. And I think some of the stuff that we're seeing that's interesting is, A, there's no silver bullet for any company. Right. It's never, oh, they, if we fix this one feature, if we had this one feature, we would have kept them. It tends to be people, especially once they've made a choice to go with a company, it's actually painful for them to. And so it tends to be of multiple factors. So there's an issue with the product and then they can't get it resolved with the support team. And then somebody's unresponsive on the sales team. And those things start to just add up to the point where. There's issues, but there could also be other things that happen that are completely outside of your control as a company. For example, my new boss used your big, your biggest competitor at their old job that has a great relationship with a bunch of people there. And they've already told them that they're going to give us a huge discount if we move. And so that has nothing to do with how well you've executed, what value you've generated. That's a decision that's completely going to hit you blindsided. I think what we see is companies over index on thinking that A, everything's in their control, B, it's only a handful of things, and then C, they think that their internal systems will fully predict why they are or aren't turning. And they use things like an NPS score and B2B to figure out if that's going to predict turn whether or not somebody turns, but they don't understand that depending upon how they're, they're administer, administering that survey or who they're sending it to, those people may have no impact on the decision. Yeah. So I think to zoom out a little bit, we've just observed a broader trend amongst the enterprise software and SaaS companies that we work closely with, that they've got some really interesting tools that they use internally to track what's happening with their customers, usage behavior, NPS, things like that, to, to understand the customer journey and customer health and to predict churn. There's just been a gap for some of these companies that we work with. And once churn happens, why did it happen? Like, really, do our metrics tell the full story? Probably not. And so there's a qualitative piece of the puzzle that our customers are eager to uncover and really understand all the nuances that went into the decision that their client made to churn and, and trying to add that piece on to, in addition to everything we've been tracking all this time the scoring that we've done, the customer ended up leaving. In some cases, we'd see at Qualtrics, one of the, their primary solutions that they offer is NPS measurement. And what if you got a, what if you got a promoter, a customer that's been giving you consistent nines and tens when you ask them what, how likely they are to recommend you, and then they churn. What's the story behind that? There's got to be more, more to know. And we've been fortunate to be in a position with the kind of services we offer to, to help companies go out and capture that qualitative side um, of the equation and answer more of the actual decision-making process that they went through to arrive at the decision to churn and, and, and leave. Yeah. This is actually something we, we chat about a few different episodes uh, on the podcast. We've spoken about Emmerich and from Agora Pulse more recently as well from, with Joe from Maze in the sense that there's many different reasons. Like sometimes the data alone can't give you the answers that you're looking for. And also off the back of that, like a lot of times when we see channel retention, when we just look at data alone and we say, okay, the number is X percent, we want to reduce it by 5%. 
not having clarity on what the actual reason is for churning. Like you don't really know what you can influence at the end of the day, because sometimes you might be getting a nine on that NPS, but they went out of business and that's why they churned. That's not something that your tool or service is going to fix uh, ultimately, but we're trying to improve that metric without understanding these reasons. So how are you doing it? Yeah. Yeah. So there's an interesting thing here. It's, it will seem like a small nuance, but it's actually incredibly important to understand. A lot of the measurement, like customer experience type measurement originated in B2C businesses, right? Like I used to work at Bain and we would go do NPS projects for companies where we would go survey, for example, a telecoms customers to understand what the NPS score was. Here's why this is important is in B2C businesses, the person giving you the score is also the person who has the decision rights about the wallet and the money that gets spent. There's a disconnect in a lot of B2B, and it's not always clear of the person giving you the scores may not have any right to or influence on the decision, or it may be not well clearly defined why or how decisions are made in the company. That's why it's dangerous to try to approach proven B2C methodologies for tracking churn into B2B because the way decisions get made, they're more complex, they're more difficult. So how do... To answer your question, how do we do it? How do we help companies understand this? Is we go out on their behalf and through typically on bigger, more sophisticated deals, an interview mechanism, we'll go interview the decision makers and understand why they did what they did. If it's a more transactional deal, we can help survey those buyers to understand why they did what they did. But the key is to under is to make sure you go to the buyer and don't sit internally inside the, the walls of your own, whether you're working remotely or own office and try to guess Mm -mm. why they did what they did. Yeah. So we're seeing this trend of executives, business decision makers, customer success leaders saying, hey, I think there's a gap. I think there's more for us to uncover around why these customers are churning. So let's establish a disciplined process where on an ongoing basis, as customers do churn, we're reaching out to all of them or depending on the volume, maybe a subset of them to actually invite them directly to give us feedback and weigh in on why they made the decision that they made. And the ideal mechanism, as Spencer said, to do that is an interview. If you could interview every single customer that churns, that would be ideal. But in some cases, that may not be feasible or cost-effective. And so you can also you know, use a survey instrument in certain cases, and we could dive more into some methodology questions about how to approach that. But Overall, companies are looking to develop this ongoing, continuous process of, of collecting qualitative feedback to inform them about why these churn decisions are being made, who's involved in making those churn decisions, uh, what are the factors that led to churn, what was the nature and quality of the ongoing relationship with that customer, was their decision based on internal factors at their business, or was it based on Uh, their experience with the product, capabilities of the product or whatever else, pricing concerns and considerations. So by having an in-depth conversation with that buyer, you have the opportunity to really dive into a wide array of topics and influential factors, because as Spencer said, it's usually not just one thing. It's not a silver bullet. It's usually a, a culmination of factors over the course of the relationship with that customer that led to their decision to leave. And it, it takes usually. Uh, an interview interaction to really cover that broad spectrum and understand fully what happened. 
Yeah. And so just understand correctly, then you're, are you doing these interviews on behalf of your clients? So a client would come to you and say, okay, we want to use your service. And you would then go and set up these interviews on their behalf. Would that be the process? Yeah. Mo most often companies will have us do that. We, the key here is we have a, a technology platform that allows companies, if they so chose to, they could do the interviews themselves. There is value in having a third party. It's the analogy I give people is if, if you break up with your girlfriend in, in middle school, you send your friend to go talk and figure what happened. It's kind of awkward for you to go address it because they may not want to be fully truthful with you. So there's real value in having like a third party that they can feel comfortable having a professional, but very transparent conversation with, but yeah, it, it, you can sometimes accomplish this internally. Ultimately, a good way to think about it, Andrew, is it depends on the nature of your business and your pipeline, right? If, if you, if I had a SaaS business, it was a very simple app and it's a simple monthly subscription. It's 99 bucks a month. And like the decision to use me or not use me is also really simple. It might be overkill to go interview some of those people. In fact, it's like awkward, but if I have a more enterprise level solution that has multiple users within an account and it's $10,000 plus in, in ARR that I'm spending type of thing. At that point, it starts to make a little more sense to let's go engage these people and see what happens. So you can choose the tool or the engagement method based off of the nature of your business and right size, how you approach it based off of what the deal looks like and how involved the company is with you. And what'll make the most sense. So then let's go into this a little bit deeper. So a client comes to you, they want to an analyze why customers are churning. You go ahead, you set up some interviews. What does a typical interview look like uh, with the clients? What are some of the key questions you want to be asking uh, during those interviews uh, to ensure that you're getting, because what you're saying as well is like these interactions maybe happen over the course of a series of months. People aren't very good at remembering uh, specific actions. What are some of the tips that you'd have for people wanting to bring out those key actions and uh, points during the interviews? Yeah. yeah, good question. I have tons of thoughts on this. Let's pull, well, we can tag team this one. But rule number one, if you make it a rigid survey, like I'm going to ask this question and I'm going to add this, ask this question and I'm going to ask this question. You're wasting your time and you're wasting their time. What you're trying to do is understand why they did what they did. So you, you may have, there's certain things that may influence this. So it could be pricing. It could be product gaps. It could be a support experience. It could be implementation. It could be a handful of things. So you may want to, you want to put the thought in up front to think about what those things might be and the types of questions you want to ask, but it's an interview. You cannot script the thing. And if you do try to script the thing, two things will happen. One, you won't dig right in the right areas to understand what happened. And two, You'll end up having, a, if you try to aggregate this across different customers that you talk to, you'll have a very rigid set of answers, but not something that truly uncovers what happened. So rule number one, your whole goal of that conversation is why did you do what you did? And just, and I'm going to do the whole, tell me more about this. Tell me more about this. Why was that important? What exactly didn't work? If somebody tells you, for example, the product couldn't meet our use case. Okay. Tell me more about your use case. Tell me more about the challenges you ran into and in trying to meet your use case. What would you do differently if you were designing the product? Those types of questions will get you to an answer as a company that can help you go solve it and keep that customer in the future. Um, okay, yeah. so tell me a little bit more about this then. Tell me what else are you asking? Why? Why? Yeah. Yeah. Spencer's got a whole repertoire of great questions. He's done a lot of 
uh, of this interview work on behalf of our clients. So uh, maybe you can be conjuring up some more great questions that people could incorporate into their interviews. But as you conduct the interviews, it's equally as important. In addition to conducting a great interview that's adaptive, as Spencer has described, you also need to have a mechanism or an approach for aggregating the feedback across all the interviews that you're doing. And so you need to, you need to lead these uh, adaptive probing interviews, but then step back after the fact, ideally record and transcribe these conversations so that you've got a great record of it and go back through, come back through and, and tag from interview to interview. Like here are the major factors that influence this buyer's decision and create a framework of those or a scheme of decision drivers that then you are tabulating across all the interviews that have been conducted. So that in addition to be able to tell a, a convincing, compelling story about a single deal, you can also step back and see big picture. Here's some common themes and trends. Like, yeah, one customer complained a lot about XYZ feature, but we don't hear that a lot. And it's not something that's worth our product organization's time to go address. But we do hear consistently that there's frustration about our pricing model and how our pricing model scales for small business customers. It's coming up routinely. Like this is something that we need to address if we want to retain our SMB customers. And so that's long-term, the goal that you've got to keep in mind is we've got to have a way to track themes and trends and decision drivers across all of the deals that we're analyzing. Yeah. Yeah. I bet, I bet there's people that are listening to this that have been like tasked in the past. Hey, go talk to those customers and figure out why they left. And they go in and they bust open like a, you know, Google sheet or a word doc or whatever. And they're taking notes about why, but then they get done with it. And it's, what do I go do now? How do I get this into the hands of the right people? And that's Andrew's point is if you ever found yourself in that situation, that actually is as much a methodology problem. How are you actually going about up front to conduct it as it is about a, how do you synthesize and share problem? So you want to, keep those things in mind as you approach it. You want to have a really sound methodology that's flexible so you can have flexible conversations, but also have a way of pulling it all together and sharing it out. Because again, this doesn't do anybody any good in your organization if it just sits on somebody's desktop. Yeah. And I think that's a challenge as well when you don't go like a fixed structured uh, interview questions. It's a lot more difficult to run the synthesis and the analysis and understand and spot patterns. And I th what I like about what your service offers is having external third parties, you end up removing a little bit of the bias. So it's not like a product manager or marketer who's has like their own perceptions and understanding of how the product works and can say, oh, I heard that and they overhear that. And then that ends up coming up more in the reports than it should. What does your process look like? Then? Yeah, I know that's a good point. Like, not to interject, but I'm going to interject. One reason to do that, one, re one benefit of a third party is it prevents people internally from weaponizing feedback. And, yeah. and you, most people have probably seen this, right? The sales team goes to the product team and says, this is the fifth time that this is a problem because we don't have this functionality. We're not going to hit our quota because of you guys. You suck. And vice versa. The product's great. I was on the demo. The product, they said they could do everything we needed. Your sales guys blew it. And, or it's the reason this happens was because the CS team didn't follow up and pay attention not because the product couldn't do what they needed, et cetera, et cetera. An independent third party just there to represent the customer can be helpful, but you can, sometimes you can accomplish that internally. You just have to have the right kind of culture and the right representative that has the trust of the different departments within your company. Yeah. So I want to ask a question that we're talking a little bit about like exit survey, speaking to customers uh, that end up quitting. One of the things like I found fascinating and I actually learned from David Dominan at Hotshow was 
in his CRO days, he was working conversion rate experts. One of the things they used to realize and one of the biggest mistakes that people tend to make when you try to understand why people don't convert on your website is we people typically would put up like a poll and say like, um, why didn't you buy today or whatever it is? And then people get responses. But um, they have this, they had this analogy as well, and I'm going to butcher it now, but of the Star Wars theme where they had, you have the Chewbacca's, I don't even know what the characters, the Jedi's. I hope the listeners don't hate me for this, but I haven't watched much of Star Wars. But essentially there's three buckets of users and there's the stormtroopers or the users who are going to come to your site. They were always going to be buyers, no matter what, they were going to click buy and they're going to just get on with their business. Then you had the Chewbacca's who are the ones like who were never going to be customers. They maybe just clicked on an ad by mistake that are at your site and they were bad fits. And then you have the third type uh, is losing an hour. It's like they're the in-betweeners. And by collecting feedback from all these three groups of users on your website, what you're actually doing is you're getting mixed messages because you're getting a bunch of feedback from people who weren't qualified, who weren't meant to be your customers to begin with. And then you can't really tell who is uh, the one. Yeah. So what they recommended was like, you, instead of asking on the site, you ask immediately post-sale the question of what nearly stopped you from converting today. And that way you're ensuring that you're only getting from feedback from customers that converted. You're going to get like the ones who are just going to go through anyway and not much thing, but you're going to get the guys in the middle who are a little bit uncertain, give you good feedback. And I think my thoughts on this is the same can be approached to, when it comes to churn analysis, uh, because we spend so much time focusing on these exit interviews, running surveys and, and so forth. But I don't think we spend enough time actually speaking to customers that renew and asking them that simple question is like, what nearly stopped you from renewing today? Because I think the feedback you can get obviously is from someone who's managed to stick around, but they must have a lot of frustration. What are your thoughts on this? Is this something that you see with your clients? And yeah. So we should hit this into uh, talking about upsell and the benefit of wins. We see this all the time, right? Yeah. Like you only go to, if you only go talk about the negative stuff, yeah. you're, you, you might actually over-index. Right. Cause sometimes something that one customer preserves as a negative thing, call your pricing model. Another customer, I'd say it's perfect for me. Yeah. And so you actually do want balanced feedback. And we often see this for our clients. The way most of them use us is they use us upfront. The first time I sign up, why did I choose you or not choose you? So a win or a loss upfront, but also down the road an upsell or it's so just to understand that journey at the decision points. Why are they doing what they're doing? And so. 100%. You want to understand the wins because if you understand the wins, it actually helps you better understand the losses. That's true. But another thing that you mentioned in that analogy that I think is important to touch on is context of who the person is, right? Up front, it's harder to have that context when it's a brand new buyer, they're coming in, they're hitting my website and that they do or don't convert. You should have all the context in the world about customers that are choosing to churn or not sure you have all that metadata sitting in your systems, whether about their usage, about the account that they come from, all of those things. And one of the things that we found is as you're trying to interpret win-loss feedback, upsell feedback, churn feedback, the immediate question you will get is what does this look like with product X or what does this look like in segment Y or whatever it happens to be? And having the metadata around those decisions and understanding the metadata is huge because sometimes it's actually really funny. Like we had, we had a client come to us and they were helping, they wanted us to understand why they continued to lose customers to a certain competitor. Why are we losing customers to this competitor? Why are we losing customers to this competitor? And they were only looking at that, at the churns. 
And then you actually went and said, are you actually seeing when you're winning customers from that competitor? And when you actually balanced the coin, you said, oh, it's actually really, they're just both you. You're saying you're losing them based off of price, but you're also pulling their customers away from to you based off of price. So this is just a discount game that you guys are in with each other, where when someone comes up, you just offer them a sweet deal to, to, to flip them. And so it's, you're doing the same thing to each other. Yeah. Um, very bad yeah. position to be in. <laughs> yeah. Helpful to understand both sides of the coin. So that you really truly understand the coin. Yeah. I think on trends specifically around pricing, like if you don't have at least like five to 10% of people complaining about pricing, it means your pricing is too cheap. So it's just the nature of doing business in the space as well. You're always going to have this, but yeah, I think what I was alluding to as well was more that asking like what nearly stopped somebody who's just rebought the product because i think in that sense then it's not okay why did you upgrade today it's more about what nearly stopped you from upgrading today what nearly stopped you from renewing today and so you're getting insights ahead of time from people that have actually gone through and continued to be a customer irrespective of uh, thing the feedback yeah. i think you get from that is like okay i've just gone ahead and spent this contract so i'm going to give you all the feedback now and i'm going to tell you what you need to be fixing uh, immediately. So I think it's a great opportunity that we miss out on a lot because we spend so much time focusing on that upsell and okay, now we've got this client, but it's probably the best opportunity for yeah. uh, really powerful. How do we grease this kids? Yeah, how do we grease it so that you just upsell even more simply and faster? Yeah. yeah. And along these lines, just real quick, there's been an interesting strategy that some of our clients have employed where using whatever mechanism or algorithm that they have for predicting churn, they actually preempt the churn and have us contact those customers to interview them about their experience as a customer, not disclosing to the customer that, hey, you're at risk and they're worried about your account, but more of a, hey, we're a neutral third party that's been hired just to better understand your experience as a customer of, you know, X corporation. Yeah. And really the purpose of that strategy is get in there and really dig into what's the status of that relationship? What is their, their experience like? And is there anything that customer can do proactively to save that account from churning? So that's, it's a few of our clients have taken that approach and there's a really strong ROI to that because a, the customer appreciates this outreach and this interest that the the company has in better understanding their situation. It gives them opportunity potentially to vent about issues. And then it gives the company an opportunity to step in and address some of those issues that, that they may be able to resolve. Yeah. And it helps them, you know, directly impact their attention. I like that because you, you build a bridge as well to give the freedom to give more direct feedback as well to a third party and then the opportunity to save it on the other end. I see we're running up on time. So I want to make sure I save time for two questions. I ask every guest, guest in plural this, it's not normal, but let's imagine a hypothetical scenario that you two join a new company. Channel retention is not doing great at this company at all. The CEO comes to you and says, we need to turn things around fast. We have 90 days to do it. You're in charge. The trick is you're not going to tell me you're going to go do exit surveys or speak to customers and understand why they churn. You're not gonna, you don't have the freedom and luxury of data. You're just going to pick a tactic that you've seen be effective either at a company you've previously worked at or a company that you've worked with to reduce churn fast and run with that playbook blindly. What would you choose? Spencer's a former management consultant. He was at the Baines Salesforce effectiveness practice, did a lot of go-to-market consulting, saw a lot of super interesting companies. So he's got an incredible insight here for all the listeners. <laughs> you know what? What would Bain do first? No, I would say this. I would say this. Root cause most often are challenges with 
the product or service actually delivering, right? You can try to go address things through cust like support. Oh, we have problems with support. Nobody likes to call support. Do you know there's never been a person that woke up in the morning and said, I can't wait to call whatever company's support line. They only call support because something's not working. So if I was in charge of churn at a company and I had to blindly go after it, I would just go and look at what are the consistent challenges that we're running into from a product standpoint and do everything we could to fix those and, and get quick wins out of it. Because that ultimately will cascade all the way through. Years ago, I was working on a project. The client was just freaking out in, about their support turnaround times and the, the first call resolution. They had all the metrics under the sun. So the opposite of this situation. And they were trying to figure out how they could improve their net promoter score so that they could overtake one of their competitors. And the great grand joke in the whole thing was like, your competitors have a stronger product than you. Yeah. So it's not it, like the, the reason you have longer turnaround times the reason you have less first call resolution is because your product has problems. So you can do whatever you want to the price. You can do whatever you want to the support thing. It's not going to change the fact that what people are buying is not working for them. That's the way it starts. The closest thing to a silver bullet is, are you delivering on your brand promise? I'd always go there first. For sure. I think it, it's a bit of a, yeah, it's a bit of a tough one as well, because 90 days is not much time to make a big impact and stuff like that. But I think yeah. Uh, yeah. in the sense, like the, the end result, like people come to you to solve a problem if your product's not solving that problem. But sometimes there are quick wins. Yeah. Sometimes we see this with our clients. It's cool. There are quick wins. Oh, there's an issue with one integration that most of our clients are on that if we can go fix that integration, it will completely change the workflow, make everything better. Other times it's, we've had cl clients tell us departed customers, their UI just felt old and antiquated and the other competitors had really... And it's okay. That's a, that's an 18 month overhaul yeah. for you to do, but it's worth doing because you're losing customers left, right, and center on this. So um, not everything's easy. Cool. And last question then, what's one thing that you two know today about churn and retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your careers? I think in B2B relationships matter to customers a great deal that, you know, knowing that a company cares and has the intent to improve goes a long way with customers. And so anything you can do as a leader to demonstrate to customers that even though you can't fix every issue right now, the fact that you're listening, that you care and that you're being proactive, customers, especially in B2B are willing to give companies some leeway and some second chances. And so if you can demonstrate that sort of empathy for your customers and show them in one way or another you're listening and the channel of communication is open and that you're willing to make change over time, even if you can't do it immediately, that will get you a long way. And if I, that kind of answers this question, but also strikes the other question too. If I was coming into a company, new CEO with a company that's really struggling with churn, but just something as simple as me as a CEO and executive getting on the call, just going one night after the other, talking to our best customers, our biggest customers and showing them that there's an open channel of communication and that we care might actually do a lot for churn in the short term as you're trying to weigh like what can we do from a product or business standpoint to address the bigger issues long term in a world where you're trying where we're trying to constantly figure out how do we quote unquote scale everything right in some ways automate it out the interpersonal action right so every time there's a challenge we send an email or we chat about something if you can actually get on the phone with someone and 
talk to them, it softens everything. It's a lost art, I think. Nice. I think that's a nice closing uh, notes as well for the show. But before we go, is there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Is there anything they should be aware of or up to speed with the work? Just that you have a great next episode coming up and they can't, they shouldn't miss it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which one is that? Great. This, is a, this, is a, this is an awesome, this is an awesome podcast. Like tons of great thought leaders coming in and an important like topic that ever evolving. B2B SaaS is ever evolving. So you need to make sure you understand what's happening in the forefront. And it, it's been crazy for us over the last five years as we work with all the different companies we work with, how much buying behavior has changed, how much go-to-market processes have changed, and how much really understanding your customers has been facilitated, but also lost in some ways. So I think this is, sure. this is cool. Thanks very much, guys. I uh, really appreciate it. It was great chatting to you today and uh, wish you best of luck now going forward. Yeah, thanks for the time, Andrew. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.